knowing that there was a world out there that had not yet been evangelised. Living at a time when transport and communication and healthcare were far below the standards that we come to expect today. Wouldn't you have just said, well, that's just an impossible task. Let's, uh, let's just forget it. William Carey was a young minister who told his congregation, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. He set off to India in June 1793, and within the first few years, his young son Peter had died of dysentery. His wife's already poor mental state deteriorated further, and his missionary colleague had squandered the, uh, the little money that they had. And uh, he'd not experienced the joy of a single convert in those first few years. And he wrote to a friend, I'm in a strange land, alone, no Christian friend, a large family, and nothing to supply their wants. And yet he persevered in the Lord's strength, and by 1803-25, Indian nationals had come to to faith and been baptised, and by 1825, over 700 had come to faith, some at the cost of their lives. And it was through his inspiration that many missionary societies were established, and he came to be known as the father of modern missions. We're in the, in the middle of a sermon series at the moment, looking at the person and work of the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so far we've looked at how he convicts people of their sin, as he did on the day of Pentecost when we looked at Acts 2. We've looked at how he breathes spiritual life into dry bones, looking at Ezekiel 37. And this morning we're considering the Spirit as oil. And to do that we're going to be looking at this passage from Zechariah that David read for us, which contains these hugely encouraging words for each one of us this morning, wherever we may be. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Well, just to let you know the background of, of Zechariah, so you can have some idea of what is going on here, After otherwise it will be like watching a TV series for the first time, coming into it in the middle and wondering who all these different characters are and what's going on. Zechariah was a prophet who was sent by God to prophesy to the the restored community of Israel in the early 16th century. Those who had been in exile in Babylon and who had returned to their homeland, to Jerusalem. Zerubbabel, who is mentioned in the passage, is one of the two first leaders who, who led that group back to their, their homeland. He was the, the political leader of the Israelites and Joshua, the, uh, the spiritual leader. And together they were commissioned to rebuild the temple that lay in ruins. It wasn't an easy task. They had few resources. They faced much opposition. And so the eight visions that were given to Zechariah were for the purpose of encouraging a community that felt weak, that felt hopeless, and reassuring them that God had not forgotten them, that he would enable them to complete what seemed like an impossible task. Well, the passage starts with the, uh, the vision itself. If you've got uh, your Bibles open, do have a look at Zechariah 4 and verse 2. And this is the vision. He says, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lights on it with seven channels to the lights. And also there are two olive trees by it 
one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. In case you can't picture that, it'll be something like the picture behind me. And Zechariah asks the angel, what are these, my Lord? I think if I received that vision, I'd probably be asking the same question. And the angel replies, rather unhelpfully, do you not know what these are? I'm sure Zechariah would have been tempted to say no, otherwise I wouldn't have asked, but um, he's more patient than that, and he says, no, my Lord. And then the angel doesn't actually answer him again, he doesn't explain what they are in verses 6 to 10, he goes on to, to more apply what, why they're there. But we'll come back to that, but, because after that, Zechariah in verse 11 asks a more specific question. He says, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? He still doesn't get an answer, so he puts it a different way. What are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? The angel still doesn't answer. It says, do you not know what these are? No, I don't. So finally, the angel puts him out of his misery and says, these, verse 14, are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. Now, what do we make of all this? Um, quite difficult visual um, language. Well, the two points I'd like to bring out as we try and work it through. The first of those is that we are anointed with the Holy Spirit to serve God, the Lord of all the earth. Now, this word anointed is quite a strange word, I think. It's not one we would normally use very often in everyday uh, conversation. What it literally means is to have oil poured on you. But it's not the particular act that is important. It's what it signifies. It's a setting apart for a, a specific task. And the two key people here uh, who were anointed by God were the, 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 the king and the priest, the, uh, the civil leader and the spiritual leader. They had been set apart for a specific task by God himself. Set apart, as it says here, to serve God the Lord of all the earth. So Zerubbabel is the, the civil leader. Joshua is the, the priest who had been given a word in the previous chapter. They are God's appointed officers for his people. And to be anointed is not just to have oil poured on your head and be told that you've given a special office. It's to be given the Holy Spirit to be equipped to perform the office with which you've been entrusted. The oil signifies here the Holy Spirit. And we see that in other places in the Bible, don't we? In, in the 1 Samuel, for example, it says this, uh, talking about the anointing of David as king of Israel. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Jesus himself said in Luke 4, quoting from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Now the interesting thing in this passage is that the two key people are not just anointed with oil, they are branches which provide oil that keeps the lampstand alight. Uh, so the picture we have here is that the the Lord makes the olive trees grow and be fruitful, so they produce the, the oil. But the priest and the ruler are the channels that have been divinely appointed to convey the blessings of the Holy Spirit to the lampstand, the people of God. 
So it's like, a, it's like an automatic oil system that's going around here. It's quite so clever, isn't it? Um, that shows how the temple project, the rebuilding project, is going to be something which uh, will be accomplished by God supernaturally through his power, through the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, in the Old Testament times, we had these key uh, people who were anointed, the, uh, the prophet, the priest, uh, the king, uh, None of them could do all one of those, all three of those, those particular roles. They had to only do one to which they'd been appointed. But of course, the prophet, priest, and king who came in the New Testament was Jesus. He was called the Anointed One. He was able to do all three of those tasks. He was the prophet who brought the word of God to the people. He was the priest who sacrificed himself for the people to bring them to God, the one who intercedes for them now on, on their behalf with the Father. He's the king who came to introduce the kingdom, the one who now reigns at the Father's right-hand side. Jesus is the anointed one. But going back to the Old Testament, all this spirit was present. He had a, a limited role. It was only after Jesus came, uh, he died, he ascended to heaven, that the Spirit was poured out on the church. And we looked at that a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, when we looked at uh, the passage in Acts. So what does this passage say to us today, then, about the anointing of the Spirit? Well, the lampstand, interestingly enough, reappears in the book of uh, Revelation. We won't turn to that now, but do feel free to have a look um, when you go home. And there we're told it represents the church. It's the people of God. It's golden because the people of God are precious to him. But the people of God have also been entrusted with a task, and that is to bring light to the world. And the church can only do that if it has the source of light in itself, which comes from the Spirit. So in one sense, we are all anointed with the Spirit to serve God, to bring light to the world. What is the light that we are meant to convey to the world? Well, turn with me, if you were to, um, to the New Testament, to 1 John chapter, chapter 2. Find that on page 1226. 1 John 2.20. And here we have John writing to the, uh, the early church. And here comes this uh, word anointing again. But look at the, what is said in this context. He says, but you writing to Christians there in different churches, you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. And he goes on to speak about um, what uh, that truth means. What he's trying to say here is that the light that we are meant to convey to the world is the light of the truth. The world, the Bible tells us, is in darkness. It is an ignorance of the truth, the truth of Jesus as Lord, the truth of all of our need for salvation. And as Christians, we are meant to shine the truth into the world. How do we do that? Well, we do that by proclaiming the truth that we find in God's word, by living our lives in accordance with the truth that we find there. And the danger is when we don't rely on the word of God, which is inspired by the Spirit, and we use our own wisdom, or we look at the world and uh, allow that to suppress what we know is the truth. That is when problems arise. When we think of uh, this week and the debates on, 
on gay marriage. We know what the Bible teaches about marriage. But we hear people saying, well, that's just a, an old-fashioned idea, that is a, a uncaring. It's easy for some Christians to, instead of stick by what they know to be the truth, to change the word of God to, so that it sounds somehow more acceptable to people outside the church who don't themselves know the truth. But we are warned in uh, Romans 1 about this. It says there, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. And it goes on to say, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. And in the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Our basic resource as we live our lives in this world is the Holy Spirit. It is he who anoints us, who teaches us the truth. We are made to live by his truth. And to ignore the truth of what he teaches us is to give in to sin. It's a, a bit like going to the, the petrol station, standing at the petrol pump, knowing that your car is designed to, to run on diesel and filling it with petrol. It doesn't work. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us the truth and we need to live in accordance with that truth. We're anointed by the Holy Spirit to serve God. And let's be clear, there are no Old Testament priests anymore. If we are Christians, we're told we are all priests. The Bible tells us we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Why? goes on, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We're given different gifts by the Spirit. We have different tasks to perform. But as Christians, we are all anointed by the Spirit to shine the light of Christ into the world. So how do we do that? Well, um, the next point uh, I want to make that comes out of this passage in Zechariah is that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to build God's church. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let's come back to the middle section of Zechariah 4, verses 6 to, uh, 6 to 10. This is the encouragement that the people of God need to hear. It's the word that um, the Lord first gives to their leader, Zerubbabel, who's been given the task of uh, rebuilding the temple in the face of opposition, low morale, lack of resources. And the word to him is a very short sentence but very reassuring because it says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And the name the Lord used here is significant, the Lord Almighty, the Lord All-Powerful, the one who can do anything. In other words, what he's saying is don't try and trust in your human strength, which is limited. In human terms, the army with the, uh, the larger numbers of men, the more sophisticated weapons, will win. But when God is on your side, the odds change dramatically. Something which can seem impossible suddenly becomes possible if the Lord gives you his strength. And in particular, it's the Holy Spirit who gives us that strength and that power. Chris Mace introduced the, 
presentation on the building project the other night with the words from Ephesians, very similar words. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And with the, the Spirit's power, an obstacle which might appear like a mountain that we just can't get over can be flattened. Look at verse 7 here, it says, What are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it. God bless it. Zerubbabel did not have huge resources to rebuild the temple. If you remember um, what Solomon had when he first built the temple. Let me just read to you from a passage earlier on. This is uh, David, his father, saying to, to Solomon, I've taken great pains to provide for the temple of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver, quantities of bronze and iron too great to be weighed, and wood and stone. And you may add to them. You have many workmen, stone cutters, masons and carpenters, as well as men skilled in every kind of work, in gold and silver, bronze and iron, craftsmen beyond number. Now begin the work and the Lord be with you. And yet even with all those resources, uh, it is clear that he shouldn't rely on them, but on the Lord, because David says, now devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord your God. You've got the resources the Lord has given you. Now make sure you seek him. You ask for his help every step of the way. So Rubble didn't have anything like those resources. But that wasn't a bad thing. Because then there would be no doubt that the success of this project was down to the Lord himself. And that is often the way the Lord works in our lives, isn't it? I'm sure we can look back at these times. He doesn't give us everything up front. Otherwise, we would be tempted to think, well, we can do it without God. We don't need him. He puts us in seemingly impossible situations so that we can turn to him and ask him for his help, which he's very pleased to give us. I wonder what the challenges are that you are facing at the moment. Maybe some of them do seem like mountains. What are the things you are worrying about? Why do we worry so much? Is it not because we look at things and uh, consider them in the way the world would consider them? That we think we can only achieve what is possible with our limited resources, whether they're financial or or otherwise. And so we end up thinking, well, we just can't do that. It's impossible. We've looked at our own building project many times and thought, it's just impossible. There's too many obstacles here, too many things to overcome. Zechariah says here, who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. I think what he's referring to here is the lack of faith. Don't look at the little you have and measure what you can achieve by that. Jesus took a young lad's five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000. Nothing is impossible with God. He wants us to think big. He wants us to have great faith. Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. When they see Zerubbabel checking on the progress of the temple. At the moment it's just ruins. 
But one day it will be an impressive place where God's people come to worship him. One day they will rejoice even more when they see that place of worship replaced by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I think the reason we worry about these things, the reason things appear just too great to overcome is because we look at them in our own strength and not in the strength of the Spirit. And the more we trust him, the less overwhelming our situation will appear, the less anxious we will become. How do we get rid of our fear, our anxiety? Well, look back at what the Lord has achieved and rejoice in that. Don't wait until everything has been completed, but by rejoice, thank thank the Lord along the way for every mercy. In the uh, the book of Ezra, which tells the story of the rebuilding of the temple, uh, it says there that the, the people gave a loud shout of praise to the Lord when the foundation was laid. It was the first step. But they praised God. When Yuli and I managed to lay the foundation of my shed the other day, or at least most of it, I felt like giving a loud shout of praise, of celebration. I give a greater shout when the foundation of the church building is laid. But I'll give an even greater shout when the Holy Spirit lays his foundation in the lives of those who do not yet know him. It's as we see God at work in our lives and in the lives of others that our faith grows. Let's not despise a day of small things, but look forward in faith to what we can do in the Spirit. During the period in which we'll be out of the building, we will be using this time to look at our our mission, um, at how we can change the world around us, how we can be equipped to do that by the Spirit. And we've mentioned that already in terms of uh, how we bring the truth of the Spirit into the world. But it's easy to focus on our mission, on what we are going to do, and forget that before we do anything, we need to look at our relationship with God. We need to look at the change that needs to take place in our lives before we can consider how we change the world. If we're not aware of our need for change, then we have got a problem. If we are Christians already, I hope that we want to grow in our faith, in our Christ-likeness. I hope we want to to rid our lives of sin. I hope we want to love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And I'm sure we're still a long way from doing that. The Lord has got a lot of work to do in us, however long we may have been a Christian. James 5 contains the well-known words about uh, what we do when we are sick. If you want to turn to them, they're on page 1216 of the Church Bibles. 1216, James 5, verse 13. It says, Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And there is that anointing language again to 
to anoint someone with oil is to pray for the Spirit's power, his power in this case of healing. And who are we to say that the, the Spirit would not choose to heal today? But often we think that healing is just for those who are physically sick. Uh, but here it says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I hope everyone here will one day know the joy of what it means to be, to be forgiven. We rejoice in that. But that doesn't mean that we no longer sin. And in the same way that we may be aware of our physical illness, we need to pray that the Spirit would also make us aware of our spiritual sickness and give us, give us healing. As we are changed into Christ's likeness, we will be more effective agents of change in the world. Well, as we finish, let's uh, go back to that uh, vision of Zechariah, that picture. As God's people, we are precious to him. We are a golden lampstand. And if you're not part of uh, God's people yet, all you need to do is come to him and ask for forgiveness and turn away from leading life your way and turn to leading life God's way. And he will give you that forgiveness and you'll know the joy of what it means to be, to be saved, to have his presence, have his power within you. To be a golden lampstand. To have limitless resources available from the Holy Spirit to keep our light burning brightly. We have been anointed with the Spirit for a purpose. To shine the light of truth into the world. So let's pray for his strength and his power to do that. Let's pray now. Father God, we thank you for that vision that you gave Zechariah many centuries ago, which was a huge encouragement to, to your people at that time when they faced what seemed like an impossible task. And we thank you that that vision is still a great encouragement to us today, that we don't need to do anything by our power, by our might, but we do it by your Spirit in his strength. We thank you for the, the power he gives us. We thank you that we can go forward knowing that we've been anointed by him. And as we think of the task that you've given us to to shine the light of your truth into this world. We do pray that you would empower us and equip us to do that. But uh, if we need to be changed first as your people, if we are struggling with uh, sin in, other, in any way, Lord, please uh, rid us of that. Make us aware of it and heal us, we pray. Lord, help us to go out in your strength and uh, look to achieve great things, not to despise the, the day of little things, but to uh, to go forward and do great things for you and expect to achieve great things from you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.